Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley, and we have a great guest for the topic I want to talk about. And I sent him an email, and it reads like this. I think it's fascinating how people gravitate towards the news that they choose or believe. From the war in Israel to the Hunter Biden story to the Michigan football staffer and sign ceiling story and similar stories that include videos, still pictures, witness accounts. These can be countered by different points of view, including lies to persuade. And I just wanted to talk to someone who I know kind of deals with the same thing, and I wanted to get his take on it. Gary Miles is the editor and publisher of the Detroit News, and he joins us. Gary, how are you? Good, Tony. How are you doing? I'm doing well. The last time we talked, we kind of touched on this topic. But what really got me thinking about it is I was having a friendly debate with some folks about what's going on with the Michigan football program and the sign stealing incident and whatnot. And I found it very interesting that a lot of folks who support the folks that I was talking to who support Michigan just, oh, it's nothing, no big deal. Don't worry about it. And of course, the Michigan State fans are just up there. It's cheating. You shouldn't be doing that. And that's kind of typical. But I just find that branching over to other places, Gary, from the aspect there could be video evidence and steel pictures and eyewitness accounts and whatnot. And people are going to believe what they believe. And I just kind of wanted to get your general overall thoughts about that when it comes to the news and trying to decipher what's truth and what isn't and how to get through to people, even not so much to change their mind, but to give them different points of view. Well, as you know, our goal, you know, at the news and I think in the media writ large from our time together in television and elsewhere is primarily to get the truth out. That said, you know, we often don't know the truth in real time. And so, you know, that old adage that it's the first rough draft of history, that is journalism or newspapers are the first rough draft of history, I think is a good one because, you know, we're learning all the time. But I do think there's a tendency, especially with social media and a lot of people getting information from a lot of different places that may or may not be reputable, that may or may not have good sources, that may or may not have a standard for what they hear and whether it translates into what they say publicly you know, it makes sort of an erosion of trust in general magnified so that people do sort of resort to their own corners of their own people that they believe. And that makes it really tricky, I think, for everyone to kind of know who's actually out for truth and who's out trying to set an agenda. Gary, what's your thought when a topic is brought up and someone is feeding you or I just a line that just isn't truth. It's not fact-based. What goes through your mind with that? Well, obviously in our business, you know, we often will make agreements in terms of sourcing. But one thing to understand is if we find a source, you know, who we rely on for reporting lies to us, or it turns out that the information they provided to us is false, we no longer have an agreement. You know, our agreements are based on giving us factual information. So that's one way that we make sure or try to ensure that we're not relying on faulty information. Obviously, once someone, you know, tells you something that's false, you know, you don't trust them anymore, or you're reluctant to trust them anymore on anything they tell you, or you require a higher degree of, you know, okay, you say that, but how do you know it's true? And, you know, it's dangerous for us, but the one way we try and ensure and protect what we do is say, okay, 
you know, we have an agreement for anonymity here as long as what you tell us is true. If it's not true, that agreement no longer stands. Gary, how do you talk to your reporters, your staff, when it comes to sourcing? How much sourcing do you like to have on a typical story? Well, obviously, what we prefer is everything on the record. But there are stories that, you know, where sources, for understandable reasons, will only talk on the condition of anonymity. We typically require two sources, at least two, that verify each other's accounts before we use it. Now, there are instances where we'll use one if the source is impeccable and in the position to, for instance, be the decision maker and also is trusted. You know, you might see those in situations like sports transactions where you hear somebody's traded or that kind of thing. If you can get to a source that you know knows and is truthful, you might rely on one source. But, you know, our standards are pretty well known by the staff. And then there's a question of how you describe the source. I mean, obviously, these can be shades of gray in terms of what kind of information you're getting. We try not to ever let someone use anonymity to, you know, criticize, to give opinions. We're usually trying to use anonymity to verify information, factual information, not providing opinions or not to criticize someone else, not to settle a score, for example. But I think, honestly, Tony, one of the things that concerns me most, especially when you look at Mel Tucker and when you look at the Michigan State thing, because the Michigan sign stealing thing, because of the you know, very well entrenched camps here in terms of support is, you know, you're seeing what I would call selective leaking of information to news outlets that might run with it, but may not have actual truth in their best interest. They might be just trying to get something up to move the ball forward. And some of the times that reporting, from my view, it it isn't clear what they're saying. There was a report today, for instance, that the NCA maybe came out late yesterday that the NCA has found no link between sign stealing and Jim Harbaugh. But so it's sourced. We don't know who said it. But more importantly, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that Jim Harbaugh didn't pay him and received the signs? Or does that mean that Jim Harbaugh and the football program wasn't receiving any benefit from the alleged sign stealing? If that's true, it's just so vague, it's unclear what it means, no link between Harbaugh and the alleged science dealer. And that leads me to our next question. When we come back from break, Gary, I want to ask you how important it is to have quotes or info from all sides of a story. We'll do that next. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We do office and have been exceeding our customers' expectations since 1984. DBI is celebrating its 30th anniversary as a premier office supply and furniture dealer in mid-Michigan. DBI offers more products and services than any other office supply and furniture dealer in mid-Michigan. Find out what DBI can do for your office at dbis.com. Welcome back to Media Business. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley talking with Gary Miles, the editor and publisher of the Detroit News. Gary, how important is it to get all sides of every story? 
Well, it's vitally important. Unfortunately, you know, we're in an era where some sides, you know, find it more beneficial not to say anything than to talk at all. So then you're left with the question of do you provide a partial, you know, one side of the story, you know, and reach out to the other side, but know that you're not going to get a countervailing opinion. And you see that in a lot of personnel matters, sometimes, you know, using Mel Tucker and the sign stealing thing as an example, you know, Officially, I'm not sure the University of Michigan has said a word about this, you know, allegations, the allegations. So everything has come out has been some way or another. You know, we're always trying, and I think all the media are trying to get both sides to try and make sure that what one side says is checked against what the other side says. But if one side isn't talking, that obviously is really difficult. When it comes to the Jim Harbaugh story, there's a lot of evidence out that there was sign stealing being done, that there was someone on the Michigan payroll. There's evidence there. And the questions that I want answered about this is, did an assistant coach know this was going on? And in reference to that, did Jim Harbaugh know? But more importantly, I guess overall, Gary, just wondering, how much does a head coach know what's going on in their program? I have heard many stories where uh, head coaches don't want to know some things. So there's that deniability there. What do you think? Well, I think there are two questions. One is what do they know? The other thing is what should they know? And I think that's almost a more important question. Certainly, I don't know everything. We've got about 90 full-time folks in the Detroit News newsroom. Certainly, I don't know, you know the contents of every conversation or every person's conversation with a source, for example. But you know, I think, do I have a responsibility to know if something untoward is happening and there's evidence of it? In this case, allegedly, and again, we don't know much that we can be certain about, but allegedly, you know, there were thousands of dollars spent for this effort. Well, certainly the purse strings of the football program are the head coach's responsibility. So should the head coach have known if this was happening, that it was happening? And should he have known what these thousands of dollars were being spent on? But it's certainly possible he could have been lied to about what they were spent on, if in fact those spending numbers are correct. So I don't doubt that football coaches like a certain amount of deniability about what goes on in recruiting realms and those kinds of things. But hopefully the best of them actually have a pretty good finger on the pulse of what's going on in their program. And this goes back to the overlying story that we're talking about or stories. You can take the Hunter Biden story. You can take the Mel Tucker story. You can take this Harbaugh story. You could take things that are going on with Michigan government. There's just so many questions to be answered. And it's so hard to get to the truth, but you got to keep digging, right? Well, you do. I also think, frankly, we all need to stand up for transparency in our government. I'll give you a great example, Tony. You might remember that earlier, was it last year? Earlier this year, the NCAA sent a letter to the University of Michigan regarding Jim Harbaugh allegedly uh, recruiting violation. And we've all heard it was a hamburger that he bought, I imagine. I don't know if that's true, but that we've certainly heard it. Well, this was communication from the NCAA to one of our public colleges public universities, about the highest paid public servant in Michigan. And yet the University of Michigan has not seen fit, despite our efforts, to disclose the contents of the letter from the NCAA to the University of Michigan. You know, so we have a problem in this state where our universities especially, but also our public servants in many other places, are not required, are not compelled, and aren't willing to disclose what's perfectly 
obviously public information, such as a letter from the NCAA to the University of Michigan. And, you know, the recourse is to sue. That's obviously costly, both for the news organization and for a university to defend. We hope it doesn't come to that, but it's inappropriate that something as simple as a letter outlining an alleged violation of recruiting, potentially involving the highest paid public servant in the state of Michigan, is somehow still a secret. And yet it is. What I want to talk about now, and I think we got to go to break, but I want you to think about the hiding of the crime, the hiding of the story always seems to be worse than the crime and the story itself. We'll talk about that next here on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Welcome back to Media Business. We're talking with Gary Miles from the Detroit News. He is the editor and publisher. And Gary, as I mentioned at the break, I find it fascinating that the hiding of the crime, the story is usually worse than the crime, the story itself. Again, the Hunter Biden story, the Mel Tucker story, this Michigan story, what's going on in our state government. That's what I really find interesting. It's even not that I care you know, where the story ends up. But I just always think to myself, why didn't you just come right out and say what happened when it happened? You know, we can go back to the Larry Nasser story. There was a similar story with a physician and Michigan wrestlers. Just come right out, tell us the story. We made a mistake. We're going to fix it. And that seems to never happen, Gary. Well, it does seem to never happen. I agree with you. And I agree with your sentiment that in many cases, I mean, and we see this just in public sentiment, the public tends to forgive mistakes, honest mistakes with people who disclose that they made a mistake when and if they made one. But everybody gets a little bit more concerned when you've got a public entity, especially that is seems intent on hiding it and doing what it can to not come clean. So, you know, I don't doubt that some of the, you know, friction in the Michigan State University boardroom, for instance, right now, still stems, you know, from the fact that there are these 6,000 documents, we don't know what they say, that have not been released, that have been, you know, guarded under attorney-client privilege. And there may be good, we don't know what's in them, we don't know whether they would be exculpatory or damning, and certainly the university does have attorney-client privilege, so there's presumably some argument there. But the question is, would it be better? Would the university heal better if these things were disclosed once and for all? But the longer something is held up, you know, the more eager journalists and I think the public get to know about what really the story was. So you're right. It's often the so-called cover-up that gains bigger headlines and causes more heads to roll than whatever mistake might have occurred at the outset. Gary, as you know, Representative Rashida Tlaib is facing another possible censure uh, vote over her criticism of Israel. 
She's facing a lot of heat in D.C. and maybe across the country. Do you see the same sentiment here in the state of Michigan? Is she facing the heat here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think even members of her own party here, Dana Nessel, Alyssa Slotkin, Jeremy Moss, have called on her to retract her statement. Obviously, you know, as someone in the media, we're big supporters of the First Amendment. You know, we zealously guard the freedom to speak one's mind. At the same time, you know, political parties are political animals. And in this case, you know, a number of people of her own party feel that her explanation, for whatever reason, is not tenable and needs to be retracted. So we'll see how it turns out in a very short period of time here. Gary, there is legislature in the Michigan House in regards to a new entity that would be created that would dictate if local communities could have or should have, they could decide wind turbines and other similar type things. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of talk about that. Where are we with that from what you know? And has there been much pushback from that? Well, it's always tough to know how much pushback there is because these things are so episodic in terms of when they occur. In other words, if you've got, you know, a solar field that's about to go in, you know, you may not oppose it till you find out it's right next to you. And then you might find out that the state has control and your local government has no control. You know, what's at play here is the intersection between the state's interest in a clean energy future to reduce the potential effects of global warming and a local township or city's ability to restrict, you know, what goes where in terms of zoning perspective. You know, we've certainly covered this a fair amount. It looks like it's green lighted so that this would be a state decision and not a local decision at this point, though we'll see how this legislative term ends here. What I was curious to know about this, if it is imposed, is there no going back or would it be able to be rescinded? Do you know the answer to that? Well, I expect like any legislation, a different legislature could look at it in a different way and could put the control back on the local level. You know, that's why every election is important, I suppose, because, you know, these things can be decided. You know, for instance, you know, control of the state house is up for grabs in Tuesday's election here, not because there is any voting on legislators, but because two current Democratic legislators at least are up for mayoral seats. So they may vacate their seats on the Democratic majority, which could suddenly put the majority, you know, at risk. So, you know, elections are important. I'm sure that a future legislature could take a different approach towards siting of energy fields like solar and wind. Gary Miles is the editor and publisher of the Detroit News. You got to make sure you follow Gary's on X, go to the Detroit News. It's one of the resources that I use trying to keep up with what's going on in our world especially in our state. Gary, as always, I appreciate you so much, sir. Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks, Tony. I'm Tony Conley. This has been Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We'll see you next time.